Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. I want to conclude the, the series that we have been in for the past several weeks. How many of you have enjoyed this Power of an Invitation series? Have you been getting stirred up to invite people to church? Have you been, have you been, have you been coming in contact with people throughout your week that need Jesus and it's all of a sudden so obvious to you? You know, I learned this principle years ago, what you preach is what you get. So the more we talk about things on Sunday morning, the more we're gonna just see them and, and, uh, and have them in our lives. So I wanna conclude this, this series this morning. And I'm going to take just a moment to review what we talked about last week. We looked last week at Philip. And you remember, who who can remember the title? Not not the title of the series, but the title of the message from last week. Anybody? Chariot Chasers. Oh, good. You guys are, you did good class. Well done. Chariot Chasers. We looked at Philip, who was the first ever Chariot Chaser. God told him to chase down the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch and he led the man to Christ and he baptized him and uh, what a powerful thing. We asked the question, how do we become chariot chasers? How do we become those who are passionate to go after the lost? And I gave you five different keys. I said, number one, if you want to become a chariot chaser like Philip, if you want to become a great inviter, what do you do? You Number one, you listen and you look. You're looking and listening, looking for opportunities, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, waiting for his promptings and ready to be obedient. Number two, we said, go ahead and chase the chariot. Sometimes you got to go after people. They're not going to come after you. And we need to be those like Jesus that are willing to go to the other side. We need to be those that are willing to go to the places uh, that others may not be willing to go. So chase the chariot, man. Then number three, we said, capture their attention. Find a connection. Find some common ground. Be listening in your heart for ways to connect to people. The third was that we, or the fourth was that we communicate Christ. We read that scripture and it said, Philip took his opportunity. He seized the moment and he preached Jesus to this Ethiopian eunuch. Always be preaching Jesus to people. Our opinion is not nearly as important as what God has said in his word. Amen. And then lastly, we said, number five, keep chasing because there's always somebody else. As soon as he got done with this Ethiopian eunuch, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip up and he translated him. He moved him by the spirit supernaturally. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine being the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip dunks you under the water and you come back up and Philip's gone? It was pretty wild. And and the scripture says that they found Philip in Azotus, which was another city by the coast that was actually far away. And what was he doing? He's preaching Jesus to those people too. So we always keep chasing because there's always somebody else. Don't just think, I, I, I ministered to somebody this week. I told somebody about Jesus. I've done my good deed for the year and now I can go to sleep peacefully. No, let's be chasing those chariots. Let's be looking for the next one because somebody else needs Jesus. Can you say amen? I want to continue today and conclude the series using this title, No Perfect People Allowed. No Perfect People Allowed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for another opportunity to come before your word. 
Lord, I'm so thankful that the Bible says that the entrance of your word, it brings and it gives to us light. It illuminates your will. It illuminates your plan and your purpose for our lives. And and because of that, we don't take it uh, lightly, Father, but we take this moment seriously to come before your word. God, I ask that you would speak to us that you would give unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we would know your plan and your purpose, that we would know the the things that you are wanting to speak to us this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear tonight, this morning. We'll give you the praise and thanksgiving for it in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, say amen and amen. I want us to make our confession, uh, our declaration rather, that we like to make on Sunday mornings. Our declaration, you'll see it up on the screen there. We declare this over ourselves and we believe what we say when we say this. So I want you to say it out loud with me. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you. My heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe we're growing. And uh, we expect that to happen. Today, I want to conclude this series again using this title, No Perfect People Allowed. No Perfect People Allowed. How many of you know there's no perfect people in church? How many of you have been to church long enough to have figured out there ain't nobody in here that's perfect, Right? We talked about Jesus being the great inviter. We talked about us becoming the chariot chasers. And today I want to talk about this last component, which is the people that we're going after. And I've adopted this as a statement of our culture here at Hope Church. God is our priority and people are our passion. God is our priority and people are our passion. Amen. We need to be passionate about the people of God and about the lost. John Burke, who is a pastor in Austin, says this, the church is facing perhaps its greatest challenge and its greatest opportunity in a postmodern and post-Christian world. How many of you have realized that this world that we live in now, our society, particularly in America, is, is, is quite a bit different than it was 50 years ago, even 25 years ago? Even 10 years ago, a lot has changed. Uh, you know, if you went back even one, one generation, and definitely if you went back two generations, you would see that culturally, in, uh, in at least in the United States of America, pretty much everybody had at least an understanding and some level of reverence for God and for his church. Even people who maybe didn't cons- com- consider themselves Christians, or people who consider themselves like nominal Christians, like they, they went to church because their parents went to church and they went to church with their parents and so they were part of a church. They didn't really necessarily care a whole lot about it per se. But even those folks would still agree with you. There's a God and he has a son named Jesus and Jesus died to save, our, save us from our sins. And, and, and you, you had a much broader understanding across the landscape of culture of the gospel, and people by and large were more open to God. Today, that has changed, and that change for a lot of people is really uncomfortable. 
especially if you came from that time when everybody seems to know God. Now it feels very uncomfortable that we have generations coming up in age that many of them don't have the first clue about God. Many of them have no frame of reference or understanding for the nature of who God is. Many in our world and in our culture and in our country have never called upon the name of the Lord. And that feels very uncomfortable sometimes. But I'm here to tell you it's actually a blessing. It's actually a beautiful thing. Because the darker that society gets, the brighter the truth and the light of the gospel shines into that darkness. Amen? The more desperate and disparaging things get in the world, the more effective and potent the gospel is in that dark place. If I was to shine a flashlight in this room, no one would really take a whole lot of notice of it because there's lights everywhere. You might notice that I shined it over here on the keyboard perhaps, but it wouldn't mean a whole lot. But if this room was completely pitch black and I turned on a light, everybody in the room finds their way to the light. And I'm here to tell you in a postmodern and post-Christian existence that we find ourselves in, the light of the gospel shines brighter than it ever has, and this is the best day and the best time to be alive. And we need to be excited about the opportunity, not discouraged about loss of what was. The church, according to John Burke, is facing its greatest challenge, yet in its greatest challenge is its greatest opportunity. Are we going to love on people? Even though they come from a world that, and a worldview that is completely different from ours. God is drawing thousands of spiritually curious, imperfect people to become his church. How are we doing at welcoming them? How are we going to do? How, how, how are we doing, rather, at welcoming them? How are we doing when they come through the doors and they don't look like us and they don't sound like us and they don't think like us? Do we have enough Jesus in us to love them and teach them and disciple them and bring them along in the things of God? I listened to a lecture this week from the late great pastor Jack Hayford. And he was discussing his 40-plus years as the pastor of the Church on the Way, which is in Van Nuys, California. It's in the, uh, the San Fernando Valley. And he said, as, as he told about those years in the church, he described them in this way, that it was Jesus happening in people. I thought that was so cool. I had to stop and rewind it and go make sure I wrote that down. Actually, I didn't write it down. I typed it into my phone, but either way. I went back and I rewound it and I thought, this is an amazing thing. He was describing church life in those days as Jesus happening in people. I, I want to I I submit to your thinking this morning that regardless of what the world looks like and regardless of the people coming through the doors, if we can be who God has called us to be, then Jesus will do his part and Jesus will start happening in people. And we'll watch God transform them, not watch us try to manipulate change in them. 
You know, one of the three anchors of our vision is, is this center word, transformation, that we have hope for transformation. What do we mean when we say that? It was very simple. We have a hope and an expectation. We believe that we get to facilitate, yet God gets to transform. We have an expectation that when people come through the doors of Hope Church, they find an encounter with Jesus, and it's that encounter with Jesus that transforms them, brings them out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God. Can you say amen to that? That's what we're believing for. So no matter what the person looks like, there are no perfect people. We're not asking them to come through the door and have all their stuff together already. We want to love on them wherever they're at. Let Jesus do the transforming. Amen. We're in a partnership with God. God's responsibility is to draw people unto himself. You remember those words that Jesus said? If I be lifted up, I would draw all men unto me. And he was lifted up, wasn't he? Didn't he hang on a cross? He was, he was raised up to hang on a cross. And so now, ever since that moment, he's been drawing people back to himself. Dr. John Maxwell says that every human being is born with a homing beacon on the inside, drawing them back to their creator. God's responsibility is to draw them. Our responsibility is to welcome them. I want us to begin to give ourselves a welcoming score. What do you think? I want us to start grading ourselves on welcoming. Are we welcoming to people when they want to know something about Jesus? Or are we too offended with the, you know, the color of their hair? Are we too offended with how many tattoos they do or don't have? Are we too offended because we still smell alcohol on them from the night before? Come on, I'm talking to you this morning. Don't be so sanctimonious that you forget where you came from. Amen. Preach, pastor. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. My friend Josh Roberts, who's the pastor of International Family Church up in Boston, he told me the story, communicated to me the story of a gentleman named James Bolton who lived, I think he was related to Michael Bolton, but um, he was, he was at this, this church that Josh used to attend years ago, and he was one of these folks that wasn't saved, but like members of his family was, uh, were saved, and so he came to church with them. But he was always causing trouble. He was like disrespectful. He would cause commotion and problems in services. He's one of those guys that like the ushers and the greeters see him pull in the parking lot. Oh, oh Lord, James is here again. James Bolton is back. Psst. You know. So Josh, Josh was on staff at this church and he asked James not to come again. I had to do that one time. I had to write a strongly worded letter to a gentleman uh, and ask him to never come back to our church, and that was really challenging. I think Josh actually likes that kind of stuff, though, so he did it. He asked him not to come anymore, and, and, and so he, he would still come to church, but he would sit in his car in the parking lot just to be irreverent. So he's like, I'm not coming to church, but I'm still going to sit out here in the parking lot. Josh wrote him off. Uh, some time went by, and, and Josh moved away. During, uh, after, after he left during this time, James Bolton got arrested. While he was in jail, James Bolton got saved. When he got out of jail, James Bolton attended Bible school. After he got out of Bible school, he got on staff at a church, and today he's the pastor of a church. 
Josh was disappointed in Brother James, so he wrote Brother James off. This is a message that we all need to hear. Don't let your personal disappointment allow you to write someone off. Hope until the end. Hope until the end. Listen, if Jesus hasn't given up on him, you shouldn't give up on him either. I shouldn't give up on him either. I'm sorry that they disappointed you. I'm sorry that they let you down or they hurt your feelings or they did something or said something that you wish they wouldn't have said. But my friend, if Jesus hasn't given up on them, neither should we. Nobody is too far gone. Hallelujah. If they're breathing, they're a candidate for the grace of God. Come on, if they're alive, if their fingers and toes are moving, they're still a candidate for the grace of God. Hallelujah. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your people, your barista, your tax consultant. Doesn't matter. Who comes to mind when I say, when I talk about this? Who have you written off this morning? Come on, let's be challenged in church. Who have we written off? Can I tell you Jesus hadn't written them off? We're in the business of writing people off. Jesus is in the business of writing them in. In Luke chapter 7, we read about Mary Magdalene, and not a whole lot is known about Mary, but we do know that she was possessed by at least seven demons, and Jesus cast those demons out. People like Mary are typically written off by society, but Jesus writes them in. In fact, it was Mary, think about this, it was Mary who was the first person to see Jesus after his resurrection. She went from being an outcast to being the first person in history to see the risen Christ. The one that society, the one that religion, the one that many church people would write off, Jesus wrote him in, wrote her in to his story. And she was the first one to see him. Far too many churches, I believe, unfortunately, are writing people off. I've heard so many testimonies where, where, where you, you, you hear church people say these kinds of things. Well, we don't want those types at our church. Well, you know, we're, we're, a, we're a such and such church, so we don't want those types. We're a family church, right? That's, that's us. I mean, Hope Church, we're a family church. So we don't want those kind of folks here. Ruin our family vibe. It's, it's comical when you think about it. But the reality is a lot of people actually think that way. A lot of people actually believe that way. How are we at welcoming the lost when Jesus draws them to himself? So a lot of churches are writing people off. I want to ask the question, how do we change that so that our church, so that Hope Church has a different story to tell? How do we change that mentality? How do we make sure that we are not embracing that kind of mentality? I want to give you four thoughts to consider this morning. Four thoughts to consider. Number one, we need to recognize that God's supernatural power works through ordinary people. Don't forget that you and I are not special. Amen. 
See, that's why, that's why I want to address that one first because, because part of the problem with this whole line of thinking, with, with this whole issue of not being welcoming to the lost and to be welcoming to people that don't look like us, the, the, big, the biggest part of the problem is that we think that we're better than them. Can I tell you that comparison, my friend Josh Pennington said this, he said comparison either creates superiority or inferiority in your life. And it's just so true. The minute you start to compare yourself to someone else, you're either going to come away feeling inferior and therefore discouraged, or you're going to feel superior and therefore emboldened and emblazoned with pride. That's why we're not nice to people when they come to church. That's why we're not, that's why we think it's okay to not preach the gospel to that irritating relative. Why? Because we just think we're so much, but we got it, we got so, look at, look at me, I'm so, I've got it all put together. I've just really dialed my life in, man, and I've just got it all just so. I'm telling you, man, I've got it together. I don't even need to shower. I just smell good all the time. I just got, you know, just got it all together. See, we, we would never come out and say those things, but inside, if we check our hearts, we, we kind of believe that sometimes. How many of you have done this before? You, you've had a friend get blessed, and it offends you. Because, not, be, not because they got something that you didn't get, but because now their blessing is threatening your feeling of superiority over that person. <laughs> I, I've done that before. Somebody gets a job promotion and it frustrates and offends me. Why? Because I was so comfortable being better than them. We need to remember and recognize that God's supernatural power is at work through ordinary people and nobody is special. Acts chapter four, verse 13, in the New King James says this, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Let me read it, that same verse to you in the Message Bible because I think this is so good. They couldn't take their eyes off of them. Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Their fascination deepened when they realized that these two were laymen with no training in scripture or formal education. They recognized them as companions of Jesus. I would much rather that people recognize that I've been with Jesus than anything else. So you don't have letters after your name. Big deal. We're all ordinary. We're all one Jesus away from a devil's hell, friends. We're all one repentance away. We're all one saying yes to Jesus away from, from eternal torment, from separation with God. God's not looking for qualified people. He's looking for available people. Hallelujah. Come on. 
God doesn't, I, I heard this when I was young, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. He calls you and then he figures out how, what you need and sets you to work. It's always on the job training from now until the end of my life. It's because the anointing of God is what qualifies us for ministry. Not my talent, my skill, my looks, my background, my heritage, my money, my, my social status, my job. My, none of that stuff means anything. God can use, the, he can take the most down and out person, put his spirit on them, and change the world with that person in an instant. Gee, listen, go back and read your Old Testament. God's spirit came upon a donkey and he spoke. God used a donkey to deliver a prophetic message. What do you think he can do with you? Amen. I want to say something, but it's not appropriate. So number one, recognize that God's supernatural power works through ordinary people. Number two, we have to be authentic and transparent about our past. We were messed up at one time too. Amen. We were messed up at one time too. Everybody deals with on some level and at some point the I'm not good enough lie. Right? Anybody ever dealt with that? I have many times. Every time I get ready, we just had hope and healing last night. Every time I get ready to lay my hands on somebody to pray over them, boy, you better believe the devil's coming up in my ear. Talking about how I failed and how I missed it. Well, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? Remember this fight? Remember that? Remember this bad attitude? Remember, you're not qualified. Hey, listen, it's not your behavior that qualifies you. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that qualifies you and qualifies me for God's best. Everybody deals with issues. Everybody is on a journey. Be real about where you came from. Be real about where God brought you from. I said it last week. Don't be afraid to go back to the places that God redeemed you from because that is oftentimes one of the places where your testimony is the most effective. If you, came out of a, if you came out of drugs and alcohol, go back and find your party friends and preach Jesus to them. Why? Because they're going to recognize you. They're going to remember you were the one. They used to be all screwed up, and now look at you. And you get to very easily talk about how Jesus changed me. Be real about where you came from. I like what Pastor Rick Bizet says. He says, be real, because fake is exhausting. <laughs> it's so good. Be real, because fake is exhausting. Have you ever had to keep up with a lie? Come on. Have you ever had to keep up with like a dozen lies? I, I, read, I read this. This is so funny. I read a, this statement this week of a professional golfer because I love golf and I follow golf. And uh, This professional golfer was saying that when he gets into uh, an Uber and the Uber person asks him, what does he do? In order to just, you know, try to shut the conversation down so he doesn't have to talk to people, uh, he just tells people that he's in real estate. But he's really a professional, pretty famous golfer. And so his post said, I got into this Uber and I told the guy I was in real estate and now I'm like six lies deep and this guy thinks I work for him as his realtor. <laughs> Have you ever had to maintain a lie? It's very exhausting. Just be real. 
Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen to how it reads in the message. For there is no difference between us and them in this. Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. God got us out of the mess we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by the means of Jesus Christ. We were once lost, but now we're found. Not because we did it, but because he did it. Be real about where you come from. Number three, understand that the church is a hospital for those coming out of sin, not a museum for saints. It's not that saints don't belong in it. It's just not a museum. You know what a museum is. You walk in and there's a bunch of artwork or there's a bunch of statues. And that's what we tend to do with ourselves and with one another. We put each other up on pedestals and we just like to sit there and bask in our glory for a while. The church of, the, of Jesus Christ is not a museum for crusty saints. It's not. I was thinking about Beauty and the Beast. How many of you watched the original Beauty and the Beast from... Disney way back in the day. You remember when they're going through the hallway and all the, all the suits of armor are there and as Bell's walking, they keep turning their heads. And, and, he's, and, and Cogsworth, the clock, is talking about, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, and it, that's, I love that movie. But that's what I imagine. That's what I imagine sometimes the church looks like. Just all a bunch of suits of armor just looking at each other to see who's more polished. That's not what this is about. The church is a hospital for those coming out of sin. We need to remember that when we see deficiency in somebody's life, we're looking at the effects of sin having beaten that person down to a pulp. You remember what Joyce Meyer always said? Hurt people hurt people. See, we, we think that because they're not as shiny as we are, that they don't qualify. No, if we took the hospital approach, we'd be quick to get them into the ER and quick to let Jesus get them on the operating table and let the Spirit of God go to work and begin to change their heart. Matthew 9, 12, the message Jesus says, uh, or, or Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Jesus over here laying it out on the line, not giving us a lick of gray area, right? He said, I'm here to invite insiders, not coddle outsiders. We want you to come as you are, but we don't want you to stay that way. Be transformed by an encounter with the great physician. Come on into the ER. We'll help you. We'll help you up onto the operating table so that you can let Jesus go to work and begin to do things in you that you can't do in yourself. He, Jesus asked the question, who needs the physician? 
the healthy or the sick. Man, if you're healthy, find some people to bring into the ER. If, if Jesus has done work on you and you hop off the operating table, go find somebody else that needs to be on that thing. Number four, we need to be known by what we are for, not only known for what we are against. We need to be known for what we are for, not only known for what we are against. Are we against certain things? Of course. But is that what we're going to major on? No. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, in the Living Bible, reads this way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to announce the captives shall be released and the blind shall see, that the downtrodden shall be freed from their oppressors and that God is ready to give blessings to all who come to him. That is what we're for. And that is what the Holy Spirit has anointed us for. The things that we're against are the things that create safeguards and protect us. And there's nothing wrong with those things at all. That's just not what we use to catch people. Think about it. Think about it. Anybody ever gone fishing before? What do you use to fish? You use the kind of bait that the fish like. Right? I mean, I don't go fishing with chicken tenders. I like chicken tenders. I don't fish with lasagna. I like lasagna. I fish with what the fish needs. And do you know what the fish needs to know? You know what the, the fish out there need? They need to know what we're for, not just what we're against. They're already very aware of what we're against. <laughs> oh, I know, this is, this is just not one of those super inspiring goosebumps, make me feel good, pastor message. But it's true. Most folks already know what we're against. Let me tell you what we're for. I mean, I just, I just read this to you about the Spirit of the Lord being honest to preach the good news to the poor, to, to, to heal the brokenhearted and announce that the captives are going to be released. See, this is all good news. Let me tell you what we're for. We are for families. Here at Hope Church, we're for families. We are for transformation. We are for the underdog and the outsider. We are for the lost. I want you to hear this. We are for the hurting. We are for the family that's been broken by divorce. We are for the drug addict. We are for the backslider. We are for the college student who doesn't know what to believe. We are for the one who's been hurt by the church in the past. We are for the ones whom society has written off because we believe that Jesus has written them in. And guess what? We're for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you watching online, we're for you. 
The world may have written you off. The church may have written you out. But Jesus has written you in. And we're for you. When the world turns against you, you need to know that there are some people that are for you. When the world turns against you, you need to know that there are some people that are for you. And if this makes you uncomfortable, guess what? You're religious and you need to get over it. Let me say it again for the people in the balcony. If this offends you, you're religious. Get over it. Jesus built his ministry on the shoulders of ordinary people who just all they knew was, was, I was blind and now I see. I was just a fisherman and Jesus came and found me. You know, Peter, Peter had so many rough edges. It took years for those rough edges to be smoothed. But you know, Peter was, Peter was the one that Jesus said to him, I call you Peter. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter was one of the first people that when, 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 Jesus, when Jesus rose and he spent all this time with the disciples, do you remember how Peter, you remember how Peter had his, his, his flesh moment and, and he denied Jesus? And then Jesus came back from the dead and, and spent some time with Peter. Peter was, was one of the first people that Jesus ever restored. See, Jesus never, Jesus didn't stiff arm Peter and say, Pete, you denied me, bud. Got no use for you. Got no room for you. How about this one? How about this one? Jesus didn't say, Peter, I'd love for you to be on my team, but you're just not ready. I was having a conversation with, with one of our overseers, a spiritual father of mine for many, many years, Pastor Don Richter. We were talking on Friday, and I was telling him how we use that excuse all the time in church. He's like, oh, man, we'd love to get so-and-so involved in the ministry, but I just don't think they're ready. What a stupid thing to say. Who are we to decide when somebody is ready to serve God. Every time I've ever been tempted to think that way, oh, you know, they're not ready. These kids, these young kids here, these motion youth kids, oh man, we'd love to get them involved, but just not ready. Every time I've been tempted to think that way, do you know what, the, what immediately the Holy Spirit reminds me of? is that I'm not ready. And I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm still not ready. I'll never be ready. Amen. I want to close by saying a couple things. As we, as we create an environment where we write people back into God's story, we've got to learn to love people the way we love ourselves. Jesus said that this was the second greatest commandment. Do you remember this? They asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment, the number one commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, the second is like the first one, love your neighbor as yourself. 
as we create an environment where we write people back into God's story, we got to love them the same way we love ourselves. What do I mean by that? Give that person the same mercy that you're always quick to give yourself. That's what it means to love somebody the way you love yourself. Right? Oh, y'all are quiet in here today. I know I'm pushing your buttons, but it's all right. It's my job. What does it mean to love your neighbor the way you love yourself? It means that be willing to give them the same mercy that you're always very quick to give to yourself. I heard a pastor say this once, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. He said, we judge, our, we judge other people based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intentions. Well, I didn't mean to hurt him. Oh, but he hurt me. Why don't you give that person the same mercy that you're giving yourself? We have to remember that when we see dysfunction in someone's life, we're looking at a situation where sin has created a wound and has created an injury. But compassion will cause you to see beyond the effects of sin and realize there's no perfect people allowed. I started this message by saying that we write people off, but Jesus writes people in. And I want you to challenge yourself this morning. Is there someone that you have written off? Is there someone you need to write into your story? Will you make room for them? Will you welcome them? They may look different. They may talk different. They may smell different. Don't let it stop you. Let's be a church that welcomes imperfect people. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.